We have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers. And all of a sudden it smashed right dead into the center of the World Trade Center. Another plane has just hit another building, flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. It's right in the middle of the building. That was definitely looked like it was on purpose. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... So we're reaching out to make sure their own staff is okay. Right. The phone lines went down. How far were you from the Pentagon, your office? Um, we are in, U.S. News and World Report was in Georgetown. So as a crow flies, not too far. I don't know the hour, sure. the, but not far away. I could see the Pentagon burning from where I was. You could see the smoke coming up off the river uh, from where they were. There was a tank outside our office. Um, you know, the streets were shut down, you know, and the, and the Pentagon's burning during the day. So this was not normal. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to have you along today as we visit with a friend from the past. Mm -hmm. And I first met Lisa Griffin in the youth group at church. My wife and I were teaching Sunday school. We took a mission trip to Washington, D.C. to work with inner city kids. Also, I think we came back through New York City for a day. But Lisa was in the youth group at that time. You remember that, Lisa? I do. I do. That was a lot of fun. Wasn't it, though? Mm -hmm. So it was. You grew up here in Memphis. Uh, Your parents, Dr. Dan and Faye Griffin, are incredible folks. I have the privilege of attending church with them right now, and they're still going strong for Jesus. I know you're proud of your parents. Thank you. Yes, I certainly am. It's great to be back home for a while. Now, you have a sister, too, don't you? I do, Gina. Yeah. Gina Griffin Belair. And what's the difference between ages? Ten years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're the big sister? I am the big sister. All right. You and take now I'm an aunt. You're an aunt now. Yes, I am. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, I believe you majored in journalism. I did. Where'd you go to school? I went for undergrad at Auburn University, a double major in English literature and journalism. And then my master's degree is in journalism from the University of Missouri, Columbia. What was it about journalism that piqued your interest? You know, you wanted to do that. Um, Journalism has been the love of my life. I fell in love with it when I was in high school at Evangelical Christian School or ECS here locally. Um, When I was 15, I was recruited to be a part of the newspaper staff. I just started to learn quickly about it. It was an award-winning paper at the time. And I uh, started to um, manage staff and, and work and be creative and write and see what it was like to put your thoughts into print. Do you remember the first story you uh, wrote? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I do have some good memories, though. I have another really good memory of another place where I fell in love with journalism, and that was at the Baptist Brotherhood, believe it or not. Um, when I was young, I was around right. 15, the same age. My dad had a, a patient, I believe, that worked there, and so I got to go and see my first photo shoot at that time and so i got to learn a lot of steps that i took through uh through the rest of my life uh back then i loved that too how about that Mm -hmm. now you currently own your own company the griffin Mm -hmm. media management yes uh you left memphis and i think you lived for a number of years in dc i did i lived in washington dc for almost 13 years and my first job there was 
print journalism at U.S. News and World Report. And so I just fell in love with the I mean, city. how do you get your first job at U.S. <laughs> News and World Report? Well, technically, it wasn't my first job, though. It was my first job in D.C. Okay. So I had been working in journalism basically since high school. So uh, off and on throughout the years, I was a journalist in other places. So uh, I would come back home when I was at Auburn University during the summer. I was an editor here in Memphis for the Shelby Sun-Times yeah. when I was still in college. Mm-hmm. And so different things throughout my life. So, But when I went to uh, D.C., my first job there as a national journalist in print was U.S. News and World Report. What was that like? Oh, I fell in love with it immediately. My second day on the job was 9-11. Uh, and so I fell in love with the place immediately and the people that I worked with. They had a great reputation for being a lot of fun, super fair very honest and professional and if you were young it didn't matter if you hit the ground running and proved yourself you could work and land a cover story if you wanted to and that's what happened with my work there i can't imagine mm-hmm. second day on the job and then 9 yes. 11 happens yes take us back to those moments the initial impact the feeling in the office when you got the news okay where were you at when you got the news um First of all, let me say it was an honor to be there during that time. And I get a little emotional when I talk about it. But it was a true honor to be able to cover something of that magnitude that will affect us for the rest of our lives and for generations to come. Uh, And as a journalist, we have such a great responsibility when we observe and see something to record it for history in a very accurate and professional way and also with a lot of heart as well. As soon as I saw what was happening, I knew that this was important. When the news broke, I was getting to work. Well, I was at work, actually, in the lobby going up the elevator. And the reason why I say that is because there was a TV screen in the front uh, lobby, and you could see the Twin Towers, one of the towers burning. And you could see that it looked like there was some type of an accident. So, of course, as most people thought, this is an accident. We don't know what's happening. By the time I got up the elevator to our floor, um, I knew or had heard that the the second plane had hit. It was around the transition time of the first tower and the second plane was about to hit. When the second plane hit, I don't remember where I was in the building, but when I heard that that had happened and saw it on my TV screen, I went directly to the editor's office, my boss's office, and just stood there and waited for an assignment. Okay. So the process, the protocol would be he would assign who would go cover the story. I mean, you were ready to do that. I was, and uh, because I was new, I was one of the youngest on staff, I knew that you just had to put yourself out there. If you don't, if I didn't show up and say, stand at his door, his office door, literally, and say, I want to work, where do I go? Somebody else would have taken the job. Yeah. So it's a pretty aggressive working world. And, and, and of course, this was a huge story. Um, and so they're not going to usually assign it to a young person, but they let us all, what happened was, is we were all called all hands on deck, the, the leaders of the staff said. So we all worked together on the stories from there on out, and then individual assignments And as what well. were the stories that you were assigned to work? I worked on the cover story, um, which would be the entire attack in 9-11. So we all contributed to the main stories at that point in time with one head writer that wrote it, but we would pick pieces of it to write and put together. So it was all of us, about 13 people, writing the story together. And so it became the cover story. Within the magazine, as time went on, because it was a weekly at that time, the magazine, I did write the story of the first three that passed away that died as a result of the on-ground fighting or the people that were retaliating. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, I interviewed the family members of the people that were in the planes that circled the building and, and hit the second tower. I interviewed those people and those questions and the things that they were asking and they were pleading for help still at that point in time. These were grieving families. Yes. will stay with me for forever. Oh, my. Yeah. 
What did you learn about America during that time? Oh, very resilient. We are we are a very resilient country that went through a lot of grief, a lot of a crisis, didn't know what to do. You take the temperature as you are as a journalist, as you know, Byron, to understand what is happening at that point in time. We went through shock, grief, frustration, anger, and then hope and perseverance and pressed on. And that's what I saw from America. You'll find that everywhere, I think, because you're just as human nature. But seeing it as a country and, and where do we go next and, you know, seeing the president standing in the rubble at the Twin Towers and giving us hope through his bullhorn while he was talking and, and the governor at the same time in New York, all the things that happened. And then, you know, seeing because D.C. was hit yes. you know, and seeing what happened in my own home turf at that point in time was uh, amazing. So at that time, you took the trip to New York to cover your story or were you covering him from? I covered it straight from D.C. Straight from D.C. Yes. OK, so not very long after the towers were hit. DC's hit. Yes, yes. So the Pentagon's um, hit. Pentagon was hit, um, and so there's a lot of chaos going on at the time because not only are you covering the story, but it's also still happening. Um, and so, I mean, what could you be thinking? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, it seems like the world's kind of crumbling. You yes. know, at this point, everybody's knowing what's happening. Right. You know, so within like uh, within my own world um, at U.S. News and World Report, because I'm still learning where is my desk, where is my office, because it's my second day there. My first day was just, you know, meeting people, having a lunch. My second day was was what it was. We didn't know what was happening. U.S. News' headquarters is D.C., but there also is an office in New York. So we're reaching out to make sure that our own staff is okay. Right. That phone lines went down. How far were you from the Pentagon, your office? Um, we are in – U.S. News and World Report was in Georgetown. So as a crow flies, not too – I don't know the hour, sure. the, but not far away. I could see the Pentagon burning from where I was. You could see the smoke coming up off the river uh, from where they were. There was a tank outside our office. Um, you know, the streets were shut down, you know, and the, and the Pentagon's burning during the day. So this was not normal yeah. at all. And so not only are you reporting it, but you're living through it. Um, uh, you know, I had to call my own family, my mom here to say, Mom, I'm OK. And she said, what's wrong? She didn't know. I said, turn on the TV. Do you not know? I said, I'm fine, I'm, but I had to make sure that the story was going first and make sure that everybody else was okay. And finally, when I knew that, then I could call my mom and say that I am okay. And the first thing she said was, <laughs> don't go outside. Don't go out there. And I said, Mom, that's my job. I have to go. Yeah. But it was so cute. That's our joke now with the family. Don't so. go outside. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you've covered a lot of other stories yes. since that time. But, I mean, what way to get your feet wet, break into a story like yes. that? A true honor. Yeah, and I appreciate you framing it that way. Thank you. You know, in honor of just so many people that perished. Yes. So, Lisa, after things started settling down, or yes. did they settle down? What happened after you started writing these cover stories? Uh -huh. Some of the next things that happened. Well, once the uh, main stories started to subside a little bit, I kept bothering my uh, bosses at U.S. News to say, hey, I'm here. What else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? And so he said, well, here, this will keep you busy. It was a joke at the time. Here are a couple of charities that someone in the news has said look a little funny. Why don't you take a look at them and see what you can come up with? And one of those charities turned out to be uh, an investigative report that I did. And the charity was funneling money, I found out, to Osama bin Laden, uh, a charity in uh, Missouri. So the federal government did shut it down as a result of some of our reporting. So you helped break up yes. a terrorist ring. I did. I guess you could say. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the federal government did. Well, yes, sure. But I mean, yes. based upon what kind of probing questions did you ask? How did you discover? What was it that looked 
unusual about this particular nonprofit? Uh, you know, I've gotten that question a couple of times from people who are wanting to train in investigative journalism, and it's really hard to say. Um, I think that doing a lot of studying on a couple of charities and seeing what was going on, this one particular charity, people kept saying there's something wrong with it in the news. They would say, investigators are looking at this charity, but that's all they would say. And I thought, well, that's odd. Well, let's <laughs> look at this a little bit further. And so it, it turned out that one of the people that was, the charity itself was quite good. It was doing good work. But within it, that's how these terrorist cells work. And studying what terrorist cells do, how they work, and then learning through uh, testimony from other people that are trying to shut down bin Laden's network, learning from the federal government how some of the others worked, saw the pattern being done at this local charity. That's very complicated. That's interesting, though. Very thankful for what you did and how that was used to stop that. One of the people that was working at the charity, I found out, helped buy equipment that Osama bin Laden used when he orchestrated the bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. And I helped find that information. Thank you for that. Your career moved you to work on the Hill. Yes. As communications director. Yes. You worked with a couple senators? I did. I worked with a senator and a United States representative and also worked in one of the national elections for president. What was that like? It's a very stressful job, but it's also a lot of responsibility. That's what I loved about it, because what you're doing and who you're helping can change the course of history. And, and let's stop a second. You, could, you talked about how hard it is. I think sometimes people don't realize the life of a journalist, sleepless nights and yeah. what you do to do your job. Oh, yes. Uh, working in journalism, it kind of prepares you to work on the Hill and work as a communications director on the Hill, which a communications director is in charge of all the communications that comes out of an office. We direct the communications of every Republican that you see. So if you ever see them on CNN, if you ever hear them on the radio, it is us helping to make sure that the message is clear to all that see it. And we plan those appearances. My point being, it is a never-ending job. I would get texts at two and four in the morning from someone in another country asking questions all the time. It, it's constant. Lisa, it's just, let's talk a second. You hear this term fake news today. Yes. Uh -huh. And I remember growing up watching Walter Cronkite. Yes. Walter Cronkite was a very objective reporter, basically reported the news. Mm -hmm. His own personal view of the story you didn't see. That's changed today. True. Talk about that aspect of communication in the media. I love that you said talk about the aspect of the communication in media, and, and I don't know if it was on purpose, but journalism. I still think truly journalism can be objective. I still I don't think we've lost it. I think right now we're in a time where ratings are so important because journalism itself, paid journalism, good reporting that's objective is not a business model at the moment. And so that is affecting our society right now. It's a reactionary news cycle, I would call it, you know, on the radio or television, not here, but, you know, national news, uh, a lot of it is now talking heads that give opinions. And that to me is not journalism. It never will be. I think that's one of the frustrating things, turning on the six o'clock news, yes. you know, an average viewer, you get to a point, you just don't want to watch it anymore. And that's the thing that excites me, though, Byron, is that I am hearing from a lot of people, people that are not in the industry like you or me, that are saying, I am tired of hearing opinions. When I turn on the six o'clock news, we were both nodding our heads right now. When yeah. I turn on the six o'clock news, I hear opinions and I'm getting tired of it. And that is making me hopeful that hopefully it will switch back to where some solid journalism mm -hmm. can still be heard again. Yeah. And, and that makes me hopeful for the future. We're missing that, I know. Yes, we are missing it, and we need it desperately. 
Griffin Media Management, you have several clients, one of which is right here in town, one of our clients, too, Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, the College at Mid-America. And the College at Mid-America, yes. too. Let's don't forget them. Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of marketing and media consulting for a variety of nonprofits and companies, and your resume is quite impressive. We could take the whole show just talking about your resume. <laughs> You're sweet. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about how you see ministry communicating to today's culture in the way it markets or communicates its message things that it could do better as you look at ministry uh church the church's message nonprofits that are related to meeting needs humanitarian needs or spiritual needs of people as you look at the way they communicate their message getting the word out i guess what are some things you notice that could be done better um that's a really good question I think there's a couple of things. One is is I want people. I'm not talking about Mid America in general, but no, just, no. But just um, I'm learning. Uh, this is maybe off base, but don't lose hope in the Lord and your ministry. Uh, I'm seeing lately in our culture, and maybe it's just what I hear, is that a lot of people in their ministry think, you know what, people aren't listening anymore. You know, radio shows they're so reactionary, or I just can't get my message out. Well, you know what? The Lord is the Lord regardless of what is on the radio. The Lord is the Lord regardless of what is on TV. He owns your ministry. He owns you. He owns the world. So please don't lose hope in the middle of the fray that your calling is your calling regardless. And so when you get on the radio or when you get on the TV, just say what he has created you to say, and it will come through to who needs to hear it. Wow. I mean, you couldn't couldn't say it any better. Those two points are excellent. I think we're in a day where people feel that way. Is my message really being effective? Yes. You know, should I do it? Yes, I'm almost to tears because I haven't shared that before. Because I do see just a general sense of of futility sometimes, yes. and and where we are at the moment as Christians in our culture, or as lovers of journalism and media. Right. But don't forget that the Lord is the Lord, and He is our heavenly Father. Regardless, continue on with your calling. Keep sharing your ministry. I it love will that. be heard. Lisa, I love that. You know, I was listening to a, a message the other day at church, and they were talking about us being influencers of culture yes. instead of culture influencing us exactly. as Christians. You know, we're the ones that have the hope. We have the peace. We have the joy. And that needs to permeate. That needs to come through our, in our message as we share that. Yes, it's been such an honor to to be able to put people on television or things, or right now saying this for the first time in my, from my own heart, you know, and, and learning, Byron, like last week with the church at, at Ephesus. Yes. Um, and how they were the Ephesians. I learned this last week, you know, in the church there. And, and they were they got this letter from the Lord, essentially, but through a minister of their church of that day. But they were living in a culture that was permeated by literally, you know, you walk down the street there and it's just um, Arminius. The goddess Arminius. The goddess yeah. Arminius, yes. Yeah. And so they're living in a culture where it is completely secular, more so than what we have right now, I would assume. Uh, and yet, look what happened. God changed the world through them. Uh, and so please, folks, don't get discouraged that it seems to be that our culture is turning. God is still God. He still calls us to, to live out our calling and he, through us, can change our culture. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I was just reading the other day in Second Timothy 4, this verse 5 says, But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of the suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry of God has given you. 
Yes. And that's exactly what you just said. Yes. That's from the word. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I get while I'm home, you know, this is my hometown. It's always will be dear to my heart. D.C. is very dear to my heart, too. And it's interesting when I come back here and people say, well, what was it like working on Capitol Hill or in politics? Boy, I bet you're glad you're not there now. Well, I think the opposite. I want to tell people, I want to look at them and say, don't lose heart. We need more people like me or people that I know, Christians, there. Well, that's my don't next, leave. That's my next yeah. question, Lisa. Uh-huh. Are there any other people in the media of D.C. like you? Oh, there are so many. That's a great question. And people think that they're not. I got tickled, because, and I was surprised. I was like, what? I thought, and no, Byron's nodding here. Um, when someone else said, well, that we need more people like you on the Capitol Hill, and I thought, oh, you don't know? Well, let me tell you, there are so many Christians, y'all, on Capitol Hill. We have Bible studies on Capitol Hill. Congress even opens in prayer. You know, it is, y'all, still a very God-fearing place. And there are a lot of Christians out there that are far, even, you know, more devout than I am that are that are working for the Lord and are truly taking his influence uh, to the streets every single day. And it is uh, not as secular often as it's portrayed. Or if we lose our hope, yes, there are secular people with their beliefs that are, you know, are at this point in time, it's true. Right. It is permeating our culture. But there are many, many God-fearing people that work there. And I'm thrilled to say that a lot of them are my friends. That's great. Yeah. Well, Lisa, when you decided to start your own company, Griffin yes. Media Management, what was the intention there? What do you want to accomplish? How did, why did you want to start your own business? Oh, that's a great question and one I'm still trying to answer for myself. So I'm praying about where the Lord will be taking me next. So when I started it, it was when I was getting my master's degree in media management and journalism from the University of Missouri, Columbia, which is a great place to get journalism education. Um, And I felt that God was calling me to still stay in journalism, but also to create my own business. I didn't know what that looked like. And I was so confused at the time. I was like, Lord, is it a magazine? You know, because I could influence people through print. Now I can see that it wasn't because that print model is no longer in effect as much as before. Uh, and I don't know what's going to happen next. So I have so many loves, and we'll see. You talk about things yeah. changing. I mean, I drive down Union Avenue downtown and past the old commercial uphill building and mm-hmm. just think, you know, oh. of what used to take place there, you yes. know, and the changes. And I'm thankful for some of the local news that has come up since mm-hmm. the closing. But major publications, you yes. know, are no more mm-hmm. that we used to see. It is. It is no more. Um, and uh, But I'm thankful to see the rise again of some things that I thought would close. U.S. News and World Report is still there, although it's different. We have the New York Times that has a different business model now. The Washington Post, it has a different business model. So some are finding out what may work. Now, of course, they got bought out by some very wealthy people. Right. Um, and they are uh, right now. They have more opinion in it that I like to see. But there are good people I know that work there that are trying to still change the culture and report on it. Lisa, what are some of the services that Griffin Media Management provides? Public relations, from local to international public relations, um, marketing, advisement, communications and crisis, uh, many different things, because I have been in the radio world, television, journalism, and marketing, uh, so I can do many different things. In your heartbeat, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Well, my heartbeat is old school print journalism. That's my world. Uh, it just warms my heart every day to be able to to go to something like um, 9-11 and to see it happening and to be able to speak to people heart to heart and then report it truthfully and accurately for history is an honor that I will, will love 
for yeah. a long period of time. Um, and I also do love influencing culture through my own work or others. Wow. So that's a great word. Thank you. Okay, as we wrap up here, I've got to ask you this. When you come back to town, mm-hmm. do you have any favorite places you like to eat? What oh, do you like to do when you're in Memphis? My favorite place to eat is my mama's kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Faye's cooking. Miss Faye's cooking. She's got the best fried chicken. I have to say, she's got the best fried chicken of anybody I've ever had. She is the best cook I know. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to stop by there. Oh, yeah. She, she's cooked for many people before. She cooked for the whole football team when I was in high school, So, <laughs> or part of them. Beyond my mother's cooking, I love Corky's Barbecue. Um can't think of anything else right now. That's my favorite. Hey, one of the things I want to ask you for, uh-huh. you mentioned international representation, too. Yes. Have you done some of that already? I have uh, in the past. Um, some of my clients like that I had in Houston, Texas, have been in international press and the international journalism. And, of course, so I have relationships with those people when I worked in journalism myself. So. Wow. Lisa, this has been great. I know you were not expecting this. <laughs> you came by today for a meeting. We were I just going to show you the studio, yes. visit with Todd. And I thought, I've got to get you behind the microphone. <laughs> My first time behind a microphone myself. This can't be. It is. Wow. It is. You did an incredible job. Thank You're you. going to have to come back. You'll have to be this a regular. This so fun. Yeah. Even if you're in D.C., you could feed me stories. We could talk about things, yeah, you know? we could think about that. Yeah, well, That's a great be, idea. I think it is. This <laughs> has That's been exciting. great. Lisa, thank you so much thank for what you. you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here. I really appreciate it, Byron. Thank now, you. if friends want to know more about Griffin Media Management, uh-huh. you have a website? I do. It's www.griffinmediamanagement.com. Griffin with an I. G-R-I-F-F-I-N, MediaManagement.com. Through that, I'm sure people can get your email address if they want to connect with you. Yes. All right. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we Stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. O'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rockets rang, the bombs bursting in air. Say